0: Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew 7, verses 13 to 29. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, hello. Hello, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's unusual for me to have church in the middle of the afternoon and, um, and for it to feel like the south. It's kind of humid today. That's kind of an interesting uh, thing. If you've never been in the South, that's probably a good thing because uh, it's very humid. Uh, so I'm going to start out with an easy question. I'm going to jump right into it. Um, and my question for you is this Are you a person of godly character? Are you a person of godly character? I know I said it was easy. I lied. I'm sorry. It's not a good way to start. It's so a lie right off the bat. Um, or how about, are you a person of good character? And if, if my guess is, on your way in today, someone didn't stop you and ask you that question. It's probably not something that you have contemplated, but actually as followers of uh, Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, um, it's actually something that we should reflect on. The word uh, that we use, "character," actually comes from a Greek word uh, to means to mark, to etch, to engrave, to uh, tattoo, uh, if you if you would. And it's the idea: character isn't something that just happens; it's something that is uh, developed. Um, this, the picture that kind of goes with this is uh, someone I believe in, in Chinese uh, at the time that this was taken, one of China's. Uh, uh, oldest members and he still uh, does this old art form of engravings and of, of, of dyes and whatnot. And what he would tell you is when you, you see a finished project you know he didn't just do it. He didn't just he didn't put it in a 3D printer push a button and it came out. But it was something that he he kinda he took a tool and he made a line and guess what he's gotta do it again and he's gotta do it again and he's got to do it again, and he's got to do it again. And, and in essence, when, when the Greek philosophers like Aristotle were, were thinking of this thing, that's, when they thought of character, that's what they thought of. in Greek thought, which really uh, gives rise uh, to uh, the Greek language in the scriptures, every time you make a choice for the good, the belief was it makes a mark on your soul. It's just one of those engravings. And so over time, uh, those who keep making those virtuous, if you would, wise choices, good choices, they become people of good character. Not because they did something good, because they did it and and they did it again and they did it again and they did it again and they did it again. They made choices over and over. And and for the opposite is also true. Those who have not so good character are folks that did it. And it wasn't just, it's not a one time. I made one bad decision. No, it's it's over and over and over again. Now, uh, the interesting thing is Jesus gives this sermon as, it's recorded several places in different forms because Jesus was an itinerant preacher, which means uh, that, Uh, he probably reused a lot of his sermons. For instance, the message I'm giving you, I gave this morning. And I'll change it just a little bit uh, to meet our audience. Plus, uh, our church just got through going the entire sermon on the mount. So I have to give you more context that I gave them. And chances are Jesus kind of changed this. And so that's why some of the writers have a little different. um, Because he probably preached it different in another place. But uh, here in Matthew's account, it comes right at the end, and, and the, the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just so smart, we call it the Sermon on the Mount because he gave a sermon on a mountaintop. That's really about the theological strength of it, all right? But what the interesting part about it is, is there's two movements in the book of Matthew that all say from this time on, and the first one happens in, in 4. From this time on, he began to preach about that the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then later on in 16, it says from this time on, he was telling the disciples they had to go to Jerusalem, that he had to be betrayed, that he had to die, and then he had to raise again. So shortly after this first movement in 4, where he says that he's going to go tell people about the kingdom, we have this sermon. And the heart, at the heart of the sermon is, okay, if the kingdom of, Kevin, of heaven is at hand, who gets in? That's what everyone wants to know. Who gets to be part of this kingdom, and how do I get a good seat at the table? And so that is that. The, that that is what Jesus begins to lay out. And I, I'm not going to go through this entire thing, but just for most of you, you probably have heard parts of this. So let me just kind of refresh your memory, right? Jesus kind of kind of uh, turns over the the alpacar a little bit because he talks about how people are blessed and they expect him to say things like blessed are those who have long prayers, blessed are those who give a lot of money, blessed are those who show up at synagogue or an arts context church every day. He doesn't do that. Jesus says blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, they don't get it, but they, but they hunger and they really want it. Blessed are the merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted, and then he'll, he'll, he'll go on and say things like, now you've heard it said, do not murder, which they had. And by the way, the scriptures does. He says, you've you heard it said, you know, do not commit adultery. And he says, but I tell you, and then he raises the bar. I tell you, do not murder. Don't even call your brother or sister a fool. Do, do, do not commit adultery. Don't even, don't even undress someone in your mind. He just raises, raises the bar. And then, and then he even goes on to say, hey, you know, those of you who practice some really cool things in terms of the Jewish faith, like giving to the needy and praying and fasting. Those are all fine and dandy. But if you do them when everybody else sees you, don't get much credit from your father in heaven. He'll say, if you, want to, if you really want to know whether or not your heart is centered on the kingdom, look at your treasure. He says you shouldn't worry about your life. You should invest in your treasure and kingdom things. Don't worry about your life, for your God loves you. He tells them don't, don't, don't. Just go around judging others to make you feel so good. The first person that you need to judge is yourself, before you worry about others. And then he comes to the, the if you would, the, the ending of this particular message, this particular sermon. It's almost as if Jesus knows that the greatest danger here is the danger of self-deception, of folks thinking that they may be in the kingdom when they're not. And so Jesus is going to give them a series of choices, things that, to think about uh, in terms of are you moving towards the kingdom? Are you developing godly character or not? And that was the passage read. So I, I just want to, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But I just want to march through these and kind of say, OK, what in, what in essence is he saying? The first choice that he starts out with, with is, are you going to take the popular or the tough road? Are you going to take the popular road or the tough road? Now, uh, what I have here is the 1984 version of the, of the NIV, but they all, they all have the heart of it. Where he says, if you enter through, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, you don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to go to seminary to, under, to get what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is that there's this wide road. Wide means it has lots of room. It's easy to get down. It's probably well-maintained. There's lots of people on it, so it's really, really safe. And it leads to a a really wide opening where everybody can get through. You don't have to find yourself all bottlenecked, you know, like at a toll booth or something like that. You can just race right on through. Sounds good, except that Jesus, in his illustration here, he says it leads to destruction. It leads to a separation from God. And what he tells us to do is, is to take the narrow path, the hard path that leads to a very small gate. In fact, the interesting thing is he, he ends this with saying that only f- a few find the gate. In other words, it's something you've got to look for. It's not just there. It's kind of like if you were asking for directions to, let's say, Yosemite, I could say, okay, well, you get on a major freeway, right, and as soon as you, as soon as you uh, take the exit, you take, you know, it gets to be a two-lane highway, but it's well-maintained. If there's snow, they come out and they plow it, right, all on the way, you can stop and ask somebody, you know, if you get lost, say, hey, how do you get to Yosemite, and you'll, and you'll get to Yosemite with 100,000 other people. It's beautiful, it's nice, but it's crowded. However, uh, when I was a kid, one of the things I used to love to do is, is during the summer, we'd take a, take a trip with my dad and his buddies, and we, uh, we'd go to Colorado, and they would we'd get in these four-wheel drives, and they would pick a spot on the map where this small little fishing lake was, and we would drive for hours on dirt roads that sometimes you could or could not recognize. Sometimes you'd go off one way and... You'd have to go back and do it again. And, and sometimes you cross rivers that you hope it didn't rain and that weren't too high, so you couldn't get back. But at the end of the road, we had a lake all to ourselves with a view that was just spectacular. It was pristine. And there wasn't all the other people. But we had to look for it. It took a long time. To get there, and sometimes we had to dig our ways out of holes, and move rocks, and cut limbs, and in essence, that's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, this path that I just laid out for you, you know, that I was just talking for you. Be careful that when you're making those daily choices, when you're making those daily steps, that you just don't do what's easy. You don't what do is just what's laid out for you. I have nothing against, the, I have nothing against the, those little daily devotionals, but if that's the totality of your spirituality, I, I did, my, did my quiet time, check that one paragraph, never gave it a second thought. Jesus would caution us because, remember, he's talking to religious people here. Most of the people on this hill, they're not of the world at that time. They were considered God's people. They grew up with what I call the Hebrew Scriptures, often it's called the Old Testament. They grew up with that, the Bible that Jesus taught. They believed the Bible. And he's telling them, be careful of the wide road. Be careful of that road, because it leads to destruction. Then the second choice is, are you going to follow the dynamic, phony, or the arduous, true teacher? The dynamic, phony, or the arduous, true teacher. Careful who you follow. Verses 15 through 20, right? We read these already. Watch out for false prophets or teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. There's a warning here. Watch out. Be careful. Warning ahead. And what's what's even worse is that, is that, it doesn't look bad. As a matter of fact, it looks harmless. They're, they're in sheep's clothing. They look like one of us. But inwardly they are they're not just wolves, they're ferocious, dangerous, hungry, ravenous wolves. In other words, they're looking for a meal. And then, and, and then he kind of goes, okay, all right, you got our attention, Jesus. We're watching out. How in the world do we know them, especially since they're in sheep's clothing? Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer to that is no. And if you're a farmer at this time, you're making lots of money if you're growing grapes and figs. And you're losing lots of money if in your field you have thistles and thorn bushes. Likewise, Jesus says in his illustration, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. I don't have to explain that. You got that. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every Jewish person understands from the Hebrew scriptures he's talking about hell. They wouldn't use the word hell. They used the, actually, actually the word hell that we translate hell is talking about a trash heap outside of Jerusalem where they're burning trash. Thus, by their fruit, he says again, you will recognize them. Jesus wants us to know that, that there are some crafty people out there, but on the inside, not what they look like on the outside looks great, but on the inside, They're not for you at all. They're actually against you. We have to be careful about being dazzled by a person's outward clothing, their speaking ability, their charm, their learning, their doctrines, their fame, the books they wrote, the TV shows they're on. We we have to be careful not to be naive that because someone has a Ph.D. or or they've written a book or they're a professor or they're a bishop or they're on TV that they must be true and, and adequately handling the word of God, a true representative of Christ. Because that's exactly what Jesus is warning. People are going to come looking like that. We must look beneath the appearance to the reality. And this is, this is one of the challenges for you and I in, in a day and age where our, much of what we learn and we discern as is true is, is on a phone or a TV. Because all we see from that person whether it's that 15-second to 60-second TikTok video or maybe a little longer YouTube video or even maybe a whole TV program, all we see is that, that short time, that dynamic person who says something that seems to make sense and seems to make you feel good. And Jesus says, you can't determine what that person is by that amount of time because you don't know their life. That's the fruit. Their life, how do they treat their kids? How do they speak to the people around them? How do they treat their checkbook? I mean, maybe their ministry gives, gives, you know, you've heard that ministry gives millions and millions of dollars. But I can guarantee you that's nothing compared to the millions and millions of dollars for many, not all, but many that goes in their bank account. Plus, they actually have true believers probably running those programs. They just have somebody else run them so they can take credit for them and on and on and on and on and on. The Bible stresses that false teachers, it will come out in their fruit, but it's the fruit of their lives. While they're telling you to be humble, while they're telling you maybe to even live sacrificial lives, they themselves are not. They're everything, they're anything but humble, they're anything but sacrificial. And so every day, are we making choices, are, are we, are we fallen for the dynamic? Even the religiously dynamic, I mean, you don't have to look too far to see that our, 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 our culture is falling for people who are coming up and just saying, you know what, God is love, and he accepts everyone right where they're at. And there, by the way, there's a half-truth there. You know what's not completely true? What we're reading right here where Jesus says some are in and some are not. There is a, there is a standard of truth that matters. All right, next of the two choices, are you going to do your will or are you going to do God's will? And I'm not talking about, do I go to church on Sunday morning? Don't I when you get up in the morning and you're like, okay, what's my day about? We're well, like, well, that's easy, pastor. Right? It's about work or it's about school. No, it's actually not. As you go about your work day, you can work as unto the Lord or you could work as unto yourself or unto your boss or somebody else. You can do the same thing at school. You can do the same thing with your free time. You can do the same thing with your hobby time or whatever it is. Is it unto the Lord or is it unto God? Now, it, before I go on to this next section, I just want to point out what you're reading here is Jesus' words. So if you don't like it, please blame him. I take note. I'm just reading it. I'm just going to try to explain it. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, they identify him as Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Notice what they said, Lord, Lord. Now notice what they did. Did we not prophesy in your name? That could just be teaching or it could be foretelling the future. And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. That's a pretty incredible list there. That's a pretty incredible list. So they're going to say Jesus. In other words, they know of of Jesus. And then they're going to point to their... Their list of, hey, we did these dynamic things. And then notice Jesus' response in verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Who are you? Away from me, you lawless ones. Are you evildoers? Away from me. Now, this day that he's talking about, again, in, in the Jewish mind, it's clear. When they talk about the day, it's the day of judgment. It's a day that you're standing before the judge. The interesting thing, though, is that Jesus doesn't say, when you stand before the Father. He says, when you stand before me. This is when Jesus returns and he is the judge. And there's two, both people will come before God, both those that will enter in and those that will not enter in. And they both will say, some of them will say, Lord, Lord. But there is a difference. One group will have done his will. And he'll say, enter in. But another group, even though they did some spiritual stuff and some mighty spiritual stuff, he will say, I did not know you. You know, it's easy. Believe it or not, it is easy, relatively, especially for a smart group like this, to learn religious vocabulary, to memorize Bible verses and religious songs, to raise your hands and not do God's will. And not do God's will. In, in, in fact, it, it, it's no more harder to do that than to go at, the, at between 4 and 6 o'clock, meet a, a really cool group of young people and hang out at a bowling alley and work hard to get your score up, to wear the right shoes, to bowl, you know, at, at a decent number. It would take about the same effort as to learn all those other things, spiritual things. But there is a difference, because bowling ultimately will not lead to eternal life. And just doing those things don't lead to eternal life. But if those things lead to doing God's will, then that leads to eternal life. But what he's saying is that there's lots of people, lots of dynamic people who are doing, it must seem, dynamic things. And God's saying, don't fall just for dynamics. Don't just fall for, it was amazing, I see this and all the time. Somebody, and, I, and by the way, I'm impressed too. You know, God used me out on the mission field, or you know, so and so was sick and I healed them, and and or, you see it on TV or whatnot. And you can say it's all false, but some of it's not. Some of it's truths. Matter of fact, Jesus warns the disciples, "Be careful of false Christ and people who come. They're going to do all kinds of miracles." He, Jesus, says that they're going to do all kinds of miracles, and you're going to think they're from me, but they're not. They're not. So we have to discern. Again, it goes back to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. What are we discerning? Character. Great. Somebody got healed. Great. 10,000 people showed up. Great. What about character? What about that meek part? What about where your treasure is, your heart is? What about judging yourself before you judge others? Is that present? Then he gives us one more. Are you going to obey Jesus' teaching or not? Are you going to obey teaching, his teaching, or not? 24 through 27 gives this, this, right? We read this about these two houses, right? The interesting thing is on the outside, the houses look the same, right? I'm I'm going to switch over to religious talk here. They both go to church. They both, they both were baptized. They both went on the missions trip. They both even went to that all, all you know, um, retreat that the church did July 1st through the 3rd. <laughs> they both did that. The difference is this, is, is that when they went to the retreat and there was a speaker... One raised his hand, said amen, smiled, everybody shook their hands, and then then went out to play kickball or whatever. The other one sat down and went, God, what do you want me to confess? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? They obeyed God's will. They, They searched for his will, and then they obeyed God's will. That's the difference. And when the storm comes, and I've heard this a lot of times, talking about the storms of life, and I think that's part of it. But honestly, everything else contextually is is judgment. I think it's the storm of judgment. When it comes and their base is revealed, it will wash away. Now, there's other places in the scriptures that it says that Jesus is the rock. But he's pretty clear here. He actually tells us the difference between the two houses. The rock is not Jesus in this case. In this case, the rock House building rock is obedience. Those who obey. And he's not just talking about that verse, he's not just talking about that section. He's talking about, I just gave you what it means to be in the kingdom of God. I just told you you should hunger and thirst for righteousness. I just told you you should be meek. I just told you your heart should be pure, not just what you do on the outside. I just told you that you should serve in a way where you're like, God, how can I honor you and keep it, not completely, but as much as I can away from the eyes and praise of others. I just just told you before you look at the world and point your finger at them, remember that you are a sinner saved by grace. I just told you that. And are you now going to respond and say, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me, change me. How do I follow you? Show me what to do. I'll be nicer. I will forgive. I will rearrange my finances. I will rearrange my time. I will rearrange the way I think. I I'll rearrange the way I talk. Those, he's saying, are the true members of my kingdom. So final question. Does Jesus have authority in your life? And I'm not talking about philosophically. Because ultimately every knee will bow, every time will confess that Jesus is Lord. So ultimately, yes. No, I mean, in reality, right now, does Jesus have authority in your life? The whole Sermon on the Mount ends this way: it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In other words, Jesus wasn't speaking like I speak. I'm trying to explain this to you what scriptures are saying. Jesus spoke like like he actually wrote it, which he did. Jesus spoke like he understood it, which he did. Jesus spoke as if he authoritatively could take it to another level, God's original intent and meaning, which he could. But the question is, do you believe that he has that kind of authority? If you believe that, then guess what? You'll do it. If you're not doing it, you don't believe it. If you're not doing it, you don't believe it. And I'm not saying, by the way, you're not making mistakes. I'm not saying, by the way, we're not saved by grace. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I don't, don't fill in blanks. I'm not, I'm not putting out. See, here's the thing. I fall short. I, I've been following Christ since my first memory of what it means to believe something. As much as I believe my father loved me, I believe Jesus was Jesus and he died on a cross for me. I, of course, I didn't understand it at that point, but I believed it. And then I just, I've just kind of grown into it ever since. I did Bible studies when I was in junior high. I won the Christian Witness Award at my high school twice. Right? Don't no, don't. I just lose all the credit for that. Uh, I, I I I knew I was going to be in ministry. March eighteenth, nineteen eighty one. When I was eleven years old, I knew I was going to go into ministry. Now, I've been on that path ever since. i said no to a lot of things my peers uh, said yes to. Um, but I've also been a Pharisee and a lustre. And uh, an angry old man and a get off my lawn and a I can't believe the, what the world does kind of person. And, and so there, there's, a, there's a lot to point in my life. But, but when I stand before the throne of God, when he brings out the Jesus ruler, I will fail. I won't even get an F. Whatever's lower than an F, that's my grade. But, but what I do believe is this, is I'm going to stand before God... Lord willing, I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to say I deserve an F, but I believe that Jesus did for me what I could not do myself. He laid his life down. He paid the price by his death, the price that I, w- I should pay. And the reason you know that I believe that is that you can look back over my failed life where I've fallen off the horse many, many times. And I got right back on and went, nope, he deserves my money. Nope, i got to go ask for forgiveness. Nope, I'm going to need to tell my church I'm sorry because I did that so that they will praise me and not out of any glory to God. And you can see these etchings over and over and over and over again. I will not be saved because of those etchings. I'm saved only by the grace of Jesus. All those etchings will say is that my choices were based on what I believed. That is what Jesus is saying. Believe. It's the only way we're saved. It's the only way we're accepted. But live. If you want to know whether or not you really believe, then you live that way. You base your life on that. That he has authority. The bottom line here is we need to choose. You can choose the wide popular gate of an unfruitful inner life that results in doing your own will and ignoring God's word. And by the way, you can do this while being in the church. The Pharisees did a phenomenal job at this. Not all of them, but most of them in Jesus' time. There's a bunch of pastors out there that are doing a really good job of this. So I'm pretty sure that people in church have figured it out as well. To go the wide pop of the gate of an unfruitful inner life that results in doing your own will, ignoring God's word while everybody else thinks you're doing fine. Or choose the narrow gate of a fruitful inner life, which may not get you a whole lot of praise from others, that results in doing God's will minute by minute, day by day, By obeying, the fruit of that being obeying God's word. I'll leave you with these words from Joshua. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you... In other words, come on, count the cost. Get real. You're wasting a good Sunday afternoon if you're not all in. If it seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living or the American dream. I added that one. Choose. But Joshua says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. One day, one choice at a time. That's how godly character is formed. One day, one choice. With our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Father God, I thank you for this kind of love, that you, that you loved us so much, that though um, the, the best of us fell short of your glory, the best of us, dear God, wanted our will and not your will, dear Lord. The best of us was your enemy. You still sent Jesus to pay a price that we could not pay. For a love for us that we cannot comprehend. I thank you for that kind of love. I thank you for that grace, dear Lord. And I ask you to help us, dear Lord. For many times, dear God, we have all fallen um, for the broad path. We have all fallen for the dynamic false teacher. We have all fallen for dressing our own will up as if it's your will, dear God. We have all fallen by putting parts of our lives on on sand by acting like we understood a sermon and appreciating Greek words and meanings but not planning on doing diddly squat about it. Forgive us, Lord. May your spirit who works in us, your father, in your children, stir us to step by step, even as we stumble, even as we fall, dear Lord, but step by step etch, your character, your love, your ways in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, that we may do this with all our strength. In the name of Jesus, which means God saves. In the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, we pray. Amen and amen.